Hello, everyone. It is me, Known Wells, creator of Yumi Empathy. Today on episode 13, Tony and I take a deeper dive into creating healthy boundaries and intimacy with ourselves and the people in our lives. I talk about emotional intimacy. I get a little vulnerable, uh, a lot vulnerable, and talk about uh, a little bit of sexual intimacy. And Tony ta- shares shares with me how he sort of walks his patients through creating better boundaries with themselves and the people in their lives and uh, learning to say no, figuring out what our needs are and exploring what safety is and what safe people are in our lives. So a lot of great stuff on this episode. The disclaimer for the show is that Yumi Empathy is for informational and or entertainment purposes only. It's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Okie dokie, artichokies. Thanks so much for listening. Um, if you haven't subscribed yet uh, or rated and reviewed the show, I love five stars. Uh, that would be awesome. Go uh, go do that. Go to just iTunes and leave us a review, and maybe I'll read it on the show. That would be fun. And uh, check us out on Patreon, too. Patreon.com slash Yumi Empathy. I, uh, this morning, I just posted a little behind-the-scenes uh, photo. Um, and I share some bonus audio there from time to time. And, and you get some cool stuff in return as well, like stickers and maybe guest bots and, and whatnot. So that's at Patreon.com slash Yumi Empathy. All righty. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for empathizing with us. Enjoy episode 13 on boundaries and intimacy. Episode 13 of You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly, without judgment, about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire conversation and insight so we can hand-in-hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being human. Yumi Empathy is a safe place, a conversation between friends, a place to inspire the empathy and beauty in each of us. Today in episode 13, I am here again, as I always am, sometimes, maybe every couple weeks, some of the time, with uh, Tony Rumaiki. Hello, Tony. Hey, no. How are you, buddy? We're here... Again, for Tony time. We're here again. How quickly it comes. I know. Tony time. The Tone and Known show. The Known the to- and Tone known and show. Tone, tone and Known, as I've referred to it. Yeah. Whatever. Giving myself higher billing, but yeah. yes. Listeners, if you have a fun uh, sort of name for this uh, this type of episode for, of Yumi Empathy, let me know, because uh, we like, we're into puns, 
we're into silliness, uh, all that, all that good stuff. So, uh, in this episode, we're going to be chatting about intimacy and boundaries. Um, if you haven't listened to episode 12 with uh, Paul Gilmartin, my guest, um, go back and listen to that. We talk a lot about boundaries and a little bit about intimacy, but in this episode, we're going to sort of explore those topics and get into intimacy a little bit more. We're going to get intimate together. We're going to get into it. Yeah. And with our million listeners. It's the Tone and Known and Bone show. Correct. <laughs> Sorry about that. Bad humor. Uh, yeah, dad humor. I'm not a dad, dad but I... Dad jokes. Yeah, I'm into, I'm into dad jokes, quote unquote. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's get into it. What um, I guess where I want to start is any... Like I... One of the areas that I'm curious is if you had have had experience with patients, Tony, is, um, well, actually, let's back up. First, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and uh, do your little disclaimer thingy. A little disclaimer thing? Yeah. You got it. Hello, listeners. I am, uh, so if you're listening for the first time, maybe you've heard me on other podcasts or this particular podcast. Um, so my name is Anthony Romeike, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist here in California. So my license is held here with the Board of Behavioral Sciences in the state of California. And my license number to be all official and everything is LMFT47805. And uh, yeah, so I practice psychotherapy here as a licensed marriage and family therapist and have been doing so for a few years. And uh, maybe if you've listened to me before, you've heard I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. I have the coolest job, and and I get to share that and talk about it. So cool, and I'm happy you're here, buddy. Well, I'm always glad to be here. Good to hear. So uh, one of the things that struck me um, in my conversation with Paul Gil Martin is the word covert incest. Yes, he mentioned correct. Do you have experience talking with patients about this? I do. Um, it might be more common maybe than people are aware or, or maybe are even familiar with that term. I'm not quite sure many people are probably familiar with that term. And I was, first of all, what an awesome person Paul Gilmartin right? is. Right? Isn't he I the mean, best? He really is the best. I mean, I love that episode. I've listened to it actually a couple times, um, you know, part of preparing for today, but also just out of enjoyment. And, you know, few thoughts. He's so knowledgeable. Yeah. On, on this topic. He's obviously done so much of his own work, which, you know, is, you know, comes across in his ability to talk about what he's accomplished and done. And, and he just has such a warm presence, you know, even over a forum like this, um, knowledgeable, personable, warm. So I just, what a great, awesome guest in person. And, and I really, really enjoyed the, the podcast, but, you know, but, Thinking of that particular topic, you know, yeah, this this idea of of um, covert incest. He had mentioned the book by Ken Adams, "Silently Seduced," which which is actually one of my favorite books as well. And I think I shared with you um, not long ago that I actually had the privilege of receiving some training under Ken Adams because he's actually uh, he's one of the educators trainers for the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals, which is actually the organization that I'm certified with as a sex addiction therapist. And so I've had the privilege of, you know, being with Ken as he's provided training in those, in one of those particular modules. Um, and he's great. I mean, so that's his book. Um, and so we've talked about it 
outside of outside of uh, the module and and one of my favorite books so it again probably not a very well-known topic but uh, you know it's again the kind of this idea that in a family dynamic you know in a family system has one of the parents covertly you know, I'm not even sure this is going to be the accurate word or not, but you know, kind of surrogacized one of the children, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's kind of a surrogacy that that's occurred with one of the children, in and it's so uh, you know, essentially one of the parents from you know very covert type of place, so not overt but covert, has risen one of the children up to essentially take place of the other parent or spouse in a maybe an emotional way, you know, maybe in a covert you know, sexual way. And what we mean by that is not necessarily that there is anything sexual happening. There, there's no, you know, maybe, you know, molestation or anything that's occurring, but just, you know, me using the child to meet the emotional needs of a parent who should be getting those emotional needs met from their spouse or partner. Right. So, and, and I would say it, it, it probably happens, you know, more often than most people are probably aware of. And, and some, you know, have come in to work with me, not necessarily even being aware of, maybe that's what the dynamics of the family were, but as we've maybe processed and explored the family system, you know, it's not, you know, it's not completely uncommon that something like that is brought to light and the person recognizes that they were raised up, you know, to an equal level when that wasn't kind of the right natural, you know, dynamic for them as a child. Yeah, the term itself, covert incest, is you know is much more titillating than right than what is what it actually means. Absolutely, because of course we think of incest. You know, right. we think of inappropriate sexual relationships. You know, between family members, and but this is again, you know, it's emotional. So there is a an emotional bond, or there's an emotional dynamic that's occurring, and the you know again, a child is being used in a way that's, you know, not appropriate, you know, certainly not healthy for them in terms of where they are developmentally. And certainly that's not their role with the parent. So. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that. I mean, I I think there, there was some uh, inappropriate sort of emotional grandizing, Mm. uh, aggrandizing, grandizing, aggrandizing, something uh, in, 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 I I would say in my relationship with my mother for sure. And, um, you know, I, I really related to Paul on that respect. Uh, what, when patients come to you with this specific, I mean, obviously they're probably more than likely, like that's the work that you're doing to uncover that. Sure. Right. Like how do you, what's the work to get through that? Like if you have um, someone like Paul who who uh, has, you know, has had this, sort of relationship with his mother and it was inappropriate and um and he and you know he was sort of emotionally captive by her sure like how do you how do you work through that as a as a patient and and what do you what kinds of things are you doing with your patients for those yeah that's a great question i mean i think it really comes through the process of the of the work you know And, and i think as a marriage and family therapist you know we're we're always working on family systems. You know, we're always looking at the family dynamics and the relational dynamics of a person who's coming in with, you know, whatever it is, particularly, the, you know, their issue of presentation is. And so, you know, we're trained to look at family systems. We're trained to look at the dynamics within a family, what's happening for this person, you know, interpersonally, intrapsychically, and and what's been the influence of that dynamic or that system, you know, on this particular person? What's their role been in the family? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what role did they take on? What function did that serve? 
Um, which is always fascinating, you know, when clients start doing that work and they start looking at, you know, what, what role did I play? What role did a sibling play? Um, you know, how did we meet maybe the needs of our parents in, in ways we weren't aware of? And, and maybe that doesn't serve us well now, you know, maybe we've developed patterns of relational behaviors or, you know, relating that we don't like any longer. It doesn't work for us. I love what Paul said, you know, as, as he obviously had did his work and recognized his role, you know, that, 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 you know, the role that he had kind of been placed in with his mom and and recognizing that, you know, what sounded like as he was kind of sharing that was recognizing that, you know, a problem with boundaries arose for him. You know? Right. Because obviously what, you know, kind of had, what that had sounded like to me and what I see in my, my room quite often is that those norm appropriate boundaries have not been either taught, modeled, and they've been broken. And so a lot of times I'll see clients have to deal with the fact that they don't know what healthy boundaries are necessarily. They don't understand that they can have boundaries. You know, they don't, they've been broken so often or they've been, you know, they've, they've kind of suppressed inside of themselves their natural intuition of like, that doesn't feel right. They've kind of pushed that out of awareness. So they've pushed that down. And as Paul mentioned, you know, a lot of times we'll go to other things to no longer feel those things, right? We'll go to substance abuse. We'll go to other behavioral or process-based addictions. Pornography, like, you mentioned pornography. Yeah, pornography, yeah. sex addiction, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, workaholism, I mean, there's a lot of gambling, a lot of different things we can do to kind of numb and suppress and escape. But you know, but I guess the work itself, you know, is, is you know, process-oriented and, and exploratory. And usually is, you know, you're working with a client over time and, and, again, you're kind of assessing and evaluating and examining these types of family system-based uh, dynamics. You know, it's, it's usually the client awareness that starts to present, you know, when the client starts to understand, you know, I think I may have served the emotional role for my father, or I may have served the emotional role for my, for my mother, you know, it's like, I might've taken the place of a spouse and I wasn't aware of that. You know, it's, um, I've, you know, I think yet to think of a client, maybe unless they've done their own work, come in and, and already be aware of this, you know, the position mm -hmm. that they've had. And, uh, so it usually comes out through the work over, so over some time. How do we get to a place where, you know, as you're describing that, as, you know, I'm listening to Paul's story, as I'm sort of thinking about my story, like, the running theme is that we get to a certain, you know, emotional sort of level, and we have the perspective, and we start to see a therapist or whatever, we sure. start to do the work, and it's at that point we realize, oh, those aren't great boundaries. Right. Like, what, how, like how do we get to a place where... We are learning good boundaries, you know, from the get-go. <laughs> yeah, wow. Do you see a future like that? I, I would love to see a future. And, and, and I hope, you know, that more people become more aware, you know, through podcasts like this, you know, or other, other ways in which we can, you know, kind of in, enrich the knowledge of our communities and, and the families that, that we find ourselves in. I would love to be able to educate people on what healthy boundaries are you know, and the appropriateness of behavior and that, you know, what healthy boundaries look like in a family setting and where is it that we need to be getting our emotional needs met, you know, and, and the fact that a parent needs to be getting their emotional needs met, you know, hopefully somewhat learning to do that, you know, themselves also having, having to learn to do that in a healthy, healthy way with their spouse and maybe through friends, peers, um, a therapist, you know, and I mean, that would be incredible. I mean, you know, if, yeah. we could, if we could have that within our families so that kids could learn as they're developing what a healthy boundary looks like, what that feels like, 
um, that they can pay attention to what they feel and that's important and they can express what they feel. And if they're uncomfortable, that they can express that and say, you know, I'm not comfortable with that, even if they're not quite sure why they're uncomfortable with it. But that can be heard and that can be validated. You know, I feel like that is so important. And, and that's, I feel like so much of the work that sometimes comes up for clients is recognizing that they really have a voice and that they've turned that voice off. Maybe they never had it at all. You know, maybe that's something that they're becoming aware of. Maybe they've never had a voice or maybe they've learned to, to turn the voice off. And a lot of times what I see in clients, we've touched on this with mindfulness when we've, you know, talked on that topic and even trauma and different topics that we've talked about, which is really this disconnection from self and emotions and feelings right. and even the body. And I think this is another place where that comes up, you, you know, s- no longer listening to yourself or never having listened to yourself, how do you set a healthy boundary? You know, how are you aware of something that may not feel right for you? And how do you know to be assertive? And how do you know to talk about that? Unless again, you've been modeled, you know, that in a healthy uh, family system, healthy family environment. Yeah. There's, you're, you're just setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for these things, unless you have the systems, unless you have the, the parenting that is, is setting those and, and modeling those healthy healthy behaviors in terms of boundaries and, and stuff. It's hard. I mean, yeah. it, you know, if you've not experienced it or if your boundaries were repeatedly broken and, you know, or you were not validated, you know, as a child, your thoughts and your feelings and, and um, your expression of those things were never supported or validated, really hard to do it in your adult life. You know, it's really, really difficult. Paul's example, which was, you know, phenomenal, an amazing example of the guy stealing CDs from him yeah, yeah. and, and not, you know, the guy who's stealing the, you know, CDs being aware that Paul is observing him being, you know, stealing the CDs and, and Paul recognizing that he wasn't able to confront this person about that was such a wonderful example of that disempowerment, yeah you know, within us that teaches us, you know, or we may learn from an early, uh, from a very early place if we've not been, taught boundaries or again if we were taught not to pay attention to them or not have them then yeah what do you do with that right i mean that's such a wonderful example of something where you know he wasn't able to assert himself he wasn't able to demonstrate his value for himself he wasn't able to protect himself um you know of which obviously now he reports having done a lot of work around and it really sounds like it so yeah but really hard in in you know adult relationships right i mean to be able to do that then if you've never done it how do you, so let's talk about the people like, um, that come to you. How do you, uh, what are the sort of tenets of good boundary setting for yourself? Like personally, I mean, obviously it's going to vary from person to person, sure. but like, what are like some good sort of core things that you need to be aware of and, 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 and implement to create healthy boundaries? You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is being self-connected. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it really does vary, you know, to person to person. I mean, I, I mean, there, there are some, you know, I think major significant ones, right? You know, we, we know what's inappropriate with, or, you know, sexually inappropriate. You know, I think right. most of us have an idea of that unless again, our, our sexual norms have been broken and, and violated. But I think most of us have an, uh, you know, an intuitive sense of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. But, you know, some things might be more subtle, you know, I mean, you know, very subtle and, and a lot of, you know, this, this idea again of covert, you know, incest can be very subtle. I mean, it, it can be very subtle, you know, it can go, it can be subtle to, to the overt. I mean, it can be the whole spectrum, but I think helping people regain a connection with themselves is really a, a significant and core 
you know, tool intervention process, if you will, for that for that particular client. Because I think it's important if if they're self-connected, if they're self-aware, if they have uh, you know, mindfulness, as we've been talking about, you know, if, if, if they really have that kind of connection to themselves, then, you know, and they've done some work around this particular issue as well. So there's some insight and awareness around this as well. Then they're going to know, you know, they're going to feel when something doesn't feel right. Right. And the difference is they're going to hopefully having done some work around this, they're going to be able to, to be able to actually assert themselves and set a good boundary and empower themselves by being able to say, you know, I don't, I, no, thank you. Right. You know, right. That, that's not. And feel okay with that. And actually be okay with that. And, and feel confident and, in your choices. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. kind of know, you know, as, you know, I can't remember if you said it or maybe Paul had said it, but just kind of know that, that that space between self and other, you know, there's a good understanding of what that space looks like. Mm-hmm. And there's a good understanding that we're separate. You know, you're a distinct, separate human being. I'm a separate, distinct human being. And our boundaries are important. And, you know, and I do kind of have a, you know, a, a, you know, impenetrable shield around me, so to speak, when it comes to these particular type of boundaries. And really being able to stand up, you know, for yourself and know that that's, and to know that that's okay. Yeah. You know, that's such an important thing. And I think, again, people who have grown up in, in families where it wasn't okay to have a boundary again, struggle with that and they struggle to know that it's actually okay that they have a boundary. Yeah. You know, they really struggle to know that it's okay for me to say no. You know, there's so many people who obviously really struggle to be able to say no and to know that they can. Yeah. So, sometimes it's, you know, it's really about developing that that voice. Yeah, I see uh, in myself and, and, and people I know uh, pretty often that that feeling of I can't say no or that feeling of like, if I say no to this invite to a party or right, whatever, sure. like there's so much like shame and guilt wrapped up in these decisions. But, um, and I get that, like I've been there yeah. and I continue to be there in some respects from time to time, but um, getting to a place where we have the self-awareness and confidence in our, in our own abilities or our own choices. And, and I mean, that's, that's the self-care part of it, right? It's, like yeah, we're saying, absolutely. Hey, you know what? Like, I'm actually um, not feeling up for it, and right. uh, you don't have to lie. Like, just just tell the truth, be honest. Like, that's a uh, it's it is it become it can become an empowering thing. Sure. At first, it can feel tough, but getting to that place is is pretty great. It is, and and to your point exactly, it's a practice. Yeah, you know, and we don't do it perfectly. You know, no. I mean, it's, and it's not about perfection. And, you know, and I would say to various degrees, you know, we all have areas of struggle around boundaries and, and sometimes we do say, you know, no to something and, and maybe we're not completely, you know, honest, you know, because we're a little concerned about somebody's feelings and we don't want to hurt their feelings. Um, but for some people, it, it's, it's a huge area and, and it's, you know, it impairs their functioning, you know, it, it impairs their mental health. You know, it can be, you know, these are people who you can, who can really come in reporting severe depression and burnout. Yeah. Because they've tried their whole life to make everybody around them happy. And, and let's be honest, that's impossible. I mean, you're, it's, you're, all your best attempts, you're not going to make everybody happy. No. I mean, it's, it's just completely impossible. And yet, you know, many people grew up with the belief, because again, of how the system around them worked, is that that was, you know, one of their most important priorities was trying to make everybody else around them happy and that they couldn't have their own needs. And, you know, again, that is really overwhelming. And that is really, really 
potentially going to prone somebody for burnout and exhaustion and and loss of self. I mean, you know, yeah. where's my self? Where's, Your identity is wrapped up in identity? their feelings. What and, do I like? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Everything is about the external. Everything is about looking at the needs of other people around you and not looking at your own needs. And, you know, I've worked with people before who, you know, who have shared, they're just not even aware of what their needs are. You know, if, if you ask them, what, what is it you enjoy? What is it you um, get from that relationship? What is it that, that you want to do? And, you know, a big struggle trying to identify those things. And, you know, because again, so much external focus has always been put on other people around them and making them happy. So, you know, yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, a lot of the good work looks like that, helping people develop that. And then again, just letting them know that it's, it's really actually okay for them to set boundaries. Um, but it's a practice. I mean, I think like a lot of the good things we talk about here, you know, this is something that we, we practice. Hopefully we get better at it and we feel more empowered as we get better at it. And hopefully that leads to, you know, better relational um, uh, satisfaction, enjoyment, mm-hmm. intimacy. I mean, I know that's one of the things we'll be talking about today. And, and I think that's the intimacy part that, that you know, speaks to this issue of boundaries that we're talking about. What, what is, uh, so what does an intimacy issue look like? I mean, I know that's sure. super broad and intimacy can be, you know, composed in, in a variety of settings and, right, and sure. contexts. But um, when I think of intimacy, and I didn't have this conversation with Paul, but uh, the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, my relationship with uh, my wife. Sure. And how we are not necessarily sexual uh, intimacy, but like just how we are uh, emotionally intimacy. Sure. O- emotionally intimate. Absolutely. Um and uh, one of the things that we've actually discovered recently is that um, they, we've ha- we have some incompatibilities in terms of our emotional connection. You know, I I find that I, um, w- you know, I, I I can get a little bit more like hypersensitive emotionally sure. when I'm feeling, uh, you know, when I feel you know down or. or or uh, I'm, I feel agitated or str- struggling in some way. And Jessica is um, sometimes, um, I, I want to say the opposite, but like mm-hmm. she, she just processes those things differently. And then, and then she feels uh, that she like can't be there for me emotionally. Yeah. Like she, she like her words were, she felt like, um, you know, she was failing me in a way. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, she's not failing me, you yeah. know, that's, that's the reality. But like, you know, we, we've discovered like, you know, she might hate me that I'm talking about this, but we've discovered that we, we have some emotional compatibilities and, uh, we're going to actually go to my therapist and, and actually talk about them because that's a healthy sort of communication thing to do. Yeah. Um, what, what kinds of, when you talk to your patients about healthy intimacy and, and intimacy struggles, like what, what kinds of things are you, are you working on? Well, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, to maybe connect what you were even sharing. Sure. You know, and, and maybe pull these things together. What I was thinking about was, you know, the two, you know, you mentioned the two of you are going to be maybe doing some therapy around this and talking about it. And that's intimacy. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, and I thought that was just such a great example of, of kind of what intimacy can look like, you know, what a component of intimacy can look like, which is this idea that we're sharing. I mean, you know, we're being authentic and we're really sharing some issues that we're aware of, you know, at, within the couple. And I'm trusting you with my sharing, my truth, my experience. And and she's trusting her, you know, she's trusting you with hers. Mm-hmm. And and through that, the two of you made yourselves vulnerable, I'm assuming, you know, so there's some vulnerability yeah. to your sharing by saying, um, I'm, you know, I'm feeling this and, and she's able to share that she's feeling this. And the two of you are, you know, in, you know, or, or in a similar dynamic, there's a creation of connection that's happening, you know, through this sharing, this equal sharing of, and vulnerability process. And what I find with clients and what I work with clients is, is in that authentic sharing is where vulnerable, or I'm sorry, where intimacy can start to be built. Mm. And it's, it's in an, you know, again, in an, in an honest exploration and sharing and, and making yourself vulnerable, healthy, you know, because again, this is where boundaries are important. You know, you want to make sure that you're sharing with somebody who you can trust. And it, and this kind of ties back in again to some of the, you know, earlier things we've talked about today is that becomes part of your assessment process and determining who are safe people. Yeah. And I think that's a really important part of this process as well. Maybe that we didn't touch on uh, too much, but being able to determine who is a safe person is going to be a, a really significant part of this process. And again, if you grew up in a family system in which you may have not had the healthiest people around you, you may not make the best decisions about who are safe people. Right. And so also learning who are safe people. So whom can I really share my truth with? Who can I really share my honest feelings with? That's important. And so I think it's important that, that you know, there is a certain level of trust with, you know, whom you're in relationship with. You know, again, if you're going to share these type of vulnerabilities with, so you can work towards healthy intimacy. But I think intimacy in general, you know, there are many components to to this. And I think one is safety, mm-hmm. as we've talked about before. I think safety is always such an integral part of a healthy relationship. The other is reciprocity, you know, that there's a healthy balance between the partners. And 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 again, that's not always going to look 50-50 in every scenario, but, but we're talking about a general overall process of reciprocity in which there is a balance in the relationship between the two partners and that, you know, there is a ongoing give and take, you know, in this, in this relationship. I think authenticity is a huge part of intimacy, again, and vulnerability and yeah. allowing yourself to be real and allowing yourself to be known by another person is scary and it can be very overwhelming. It can be very frightening. Maybe if you've not had good experiences with that in the past, particularly uh, if you've grown up in a healthy family, then, then wonder, I mean, that's such a great thing. And, and it's probably a little easier. Um, you know, if, again, if you've had that benefit, then you've, you probably identify healthy, safe people. And so, you know, the sharing is probably a natural outpouring of that, that dynamic, but allowing yourself to be authentic and allowing yourself to, to share and to be known, known, <laughs> a little pun there, um, it's just such a wonderful thing. And, and again, I think that's where intimacy in a relationship is built. And then you have the other expressions of that, you know, because a lot of people, I think maybe if they think of intimacy or intimacies, they think of it from a sexual point of view. And and no, that's just one form of intimacy, I think. Uh, Penises, vaginas, butts, all those things. Whatever, right? All that, all that, all that stuff. But it's what, I, you know, what I always share is, or, you know, or, or you know, part of my my thoughts on this always is that 
you know, in the, in the true connection and in true intimacy between two people where there's, you know, love and there's, you know, just this connectedness, you know, there's this intimacy and connectedness, then sex just becomes an outpouring of that. You know, it becomes mm-hmm. another expression of what is core and central to the relationship. And so sex is de- demonstrative, you know, it's, it's a demonstration of the health of a relationship. And that's something that I'll look for, you know, working with a couple, um, I'll always kind of examine or want to know what exactly might the sexual intimacies of a relationship look like, because that is usually a pretty good barometer to kind of let me know what is happening in the core relationship or the central hmm. relationship. Um, are you know, can they feel safe with one another, and are they authentic? You know, and are they known? Can they express their needs? Do they feel like their needs are met? Um, and not again, not all of our needs are ever going to be met. That's not the point. But just can our needs be heard? Yeah, you know, can they be heard? Can they be validated? And that's, you know, I think that sometimes is enough, um, even in, in issues of co- incompatibility to recognize, you know, we don't see eye to eye on this and, and maybe we don't even match up, you know, ideally, but you understand what I'm needing and, and you attempt to make your best efforts towards those. But I feel known by you, you know, and I feel right. understood and I feel that you value what's important to me. And sometimes that really means a lot. Yeah, I... I'm glad you're saying all those things because the vulnerability, the authenticity, the uh, willingness to listen and and know, you know, the people in your life, like um, that to me is, is, I mean, I I think that's how we connect and, and, and how we grow and, and, and just create like the richest types of relationships, whether it's sexual or not. Absolutely. Yeah, You know, absolutely. You know, it's funny what flashed in my mind is um, I've done some work with a group of men recently and I was kind of thinking about that and, and recognizing that, and certainly not all, but but certainly, you know, men, I think, can certainly struggle with this at times because, you know, I think culturally and, and maybe even in a gender way, we're not necessarily, you know, um, supported you know or taught to be maybe more emotionally connected or certainly emotionally expressive right and and i think as men sometimes i think we struggle to be connected with other men then you Mm -hmm. know and i think we struggle to be known i think we struggle to be authentic and we tend to just um a term i use quite often is we just continue to be self-contained units not needing anybody Mm. but never ever really being connected you know and and again not ever being really known and if we're missing that then in our primary relationship maybe in a marriage or in a you know significant other relationship then where are we getting it at all because we need it right it's we we need need it it to live absolutely i mean i think it's such a vital you know and and i think again it's it's a spectrum-based issue in terms of the need i think some people need it more than others and, and there are various reasons for that um but I think, you know, I think we're, we're connective beings, mm-hmm. you know, I think, and I think we're designed for connection and, and all, you know, um, the work that's been done around early attachment and early bonding and, and the, um, the impact of that, you know, I think we, we now know is so significant, you know, in terms of later adult functioning, relational functioning, happiness and satisfaction versus pathology. So, yeah, I mean, now, you know, we're, we're connected beings, so connected beans we are connect or meant to be connected beans beans <laughs> beans beans <laughs> um i don't know if this is a pro oh whatever um jessica doesn't listen to the show <laughs> you know uh 
speaking of my relationship with my wife, Jessica, Jessica I mean, I feel fine. She's going to get mad at you. So <laughs> no, I mean, I I you know I I think we have uh, an amazing relationship and we communicate very well. And when we do have moments of frustration with each other, we always are authentic with one another and we talk about it and we understand you know where is this coming from like why is it happening and and it's and i feel so thankful for that um to have a partner like that is yeah. is so so important and to have someone in my life like you who yeah. you know who um is is willing to do this show and like this show is an outpouring of like my urge to do more of this connecting sure. and more of this authentic authentic work and being vulnerable and stuff. Right. Um, one of the things that I think Jessica and I have had, you know, conversations about before also in terms of connecting is on a sexual level. Sure. Um, I, I, I swear to you, Tony, sometimes I feel like I'm a 13-year-old boy. I just want to <laughs> hump everything uh, under the sun. And I feel like sometimes, like, where is that energy coming from? Because I'm 36, and it's just like, okay. And Jessica's, um, again, I'm sorry I'm sharing this, Jessica, but uh, I need to, I needed to. Um, she's not at that level. Yeah. Um I, I and I would say she's uh nowhere near it. So are you taking testosterone treatment? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't, you I don't know. I don't okay. know. I mean, I I think eventually it'll probably peter out, but that I I I did bring that up as an example of uh we've had healthy conversations about that yeah. and 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 um you know, I you know, just keep a lot of uh, lotion around the house. <laughs> Oh man, I'm not touching that one with a ten foot pole. <laughs> well, you know, and so thank you, for, you know, for your honest sharing. Because one sure. of the thoughts I think that brings up for other people is this idea of how important it is to be able to talk about things. Yeah. And a lot of times when couples come in, you know, for therapy, one of the things, you know, and of course, you know, maybe a lot of people you know are familiar with this. It's when couples come into therapy, you know, it's not uncommon for them to say, you know, we we just don't communicate. Mm. And and usually there's a lot more behind that. Right. But I think what they're saying is, you know, we just don't know how to talk to one and, you know, one, you know, each other, one another. And the problem with that is, so we have no way of being able to sharing our experience, you know, what's our, our internal experience, you know, what's happening for us, um, either interpersonally within the coupleship or, or for that particular, you know, individual. They have no tools. Like, you know, we have no ability to be able to share that with each other. And a lot of times what you'll see is there's defensiveness. And that blocks kind of any forward movement yeah. uh, in terms of, in terms of, you know, safety. Again, we talk about that quite a bit, but so a lot of times in working with, with couples, like you're sharing, that is obviously a benefit, you know, that the two of you do have is it sounds like the two of you can talk, you know, yeah. and it sounds like the two yeah. of you can share. And again, this is the, this idea that not everything's always going to match up. No. And in fact, you know, quite often we're going to go through different phases in life. We're going to go through different stages. You know, we're going to have different stressors and things are not going to match up. I mean, that's just kind of the way life works, unfortunately. But being able to talk about it, you know, and being able to share what's happening and to be able to say, you're here, I'm here, we're, there's a huge gap between us. And, you know, what do we do about that? You know, right. or, or, or at least can, can you hear my experience and can I hear your experience and can we, can we validate that? 
and understand where we're both at. And, you know, again, sometimes that alone is so healing. Oh my gosh. Like just, you know, you don't have to find a solution every time. It's just like listening. No, exactly. You're probably not always going to find a solution. No, of course not. You still may end up looking at each other going like, I don't know, you know, we we still have an unknown here. We still have a gap, but, but a lot of times it's just enough to say, wow, you heard me. Yeah. You understand what I'm coming through, you know, going through. And I understand what you're going through and yeah. you feel heard. And we're going to make it, you know, a solution will find itself, you know, yeah. like we're going to figure out a way to, to, you know, kind of make this work. And that, again, is just so powerful. So a lot of the couples work will, you know, work uh, for certain couples. It's important that communication be a focus of therapy because, yeah, if they're not able to communicate, you know, to one another, then it's going to really be difficult for them to be able to share their experience, right? And how do we get to intimacy? How does somebody really get to authentic sharing and vulnerability if they don't know how to communicate with each other, right? I mean, so it it is one of those kind of core, you know, processes that I think it's really important for couples to be able to do is is to to be able to communicate. How do you get, um, you have a, you have a couple come in and they are clearly not communicating at all. Right. How do you, how do you get them to a point where they can? Well, usually one of the the first places that you want to start is just what we call active listening. Right. It's just learning to listen. And, you know, I don't know if this is true. It feels true. So I'm going to say it and I, I could be wrong, but again, feels accurate. I don't think human beings are great listeners. Mm. Maybe, maybe we're not taught to be great listeners. Maybe that's a learned thing. I'm not quite sure, but I think we tend to want to share what's happening for us more than we're generally interested in listening to the other person. And, and I think we're usually building a defense, you know, and, and particularly for couples who have been maybe arguing for years, maybe they, they're, you know, poor communicate. I usually ask clients um, if they, you know, if I see a particular dynamic happening, you know, maybe there's an escalation in the room, they're getting angry with one another, I'll usually stop them and say, is this pretty normal? I mean, is this, you know, am I observing kind of exactly what happens at home? Is this, is this kind of the argument, so to speak, or the way it's, it's worked, uh, or the way the two of you are trying to communicate with one another? And I'm all, it's up, yep, you know, this is it. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you've got the snapshot. And I'm like, great, thank you, you know? So, what I, would like to do a lot of times in that, you know, that exact moment is we do a technique. Um, it's speaker listener. And I believe it's the baiters um, who kind of pioneered this, but it's one person's going to be the speaker and one person's going to be the listener. And we're going to, as the, you know, the first person gets to share their experience with the other, instead of, processing what the other is sharing and developing, you know, the defense, you know, I think of this as a trial, you know, you're like already building, you're like already going to, you're, gonna you're already building with, how, what you're yeah. going to respond, how you're going to, you know, you're going to destroy the evidence of the <laughs> other person who's sharing their experience. What I usually say is, you know, we're not, this isn't a court of law. We're not, you're not on trial with one another, although you might've tried that with each other in the past, or that's what it's felt like. Oh, you know, we're going to do something completely different. And we're not going to get into the truth because I always tell them I don't believe in a truth. Right. You know, right. I believe you both bring your your own perceptions into into your relationship, and the best we're going to do, which I think is great, is for the two of you to understand the perception of your partner. I mean, that is huge. I mean, right. that is such a huge, you know, valuable skill. Is if you can hear your partner's perception 
I, you know, that is, you know, absolutely one of the, one of the keys to progress is being able to do that. So, so we do the speaker listener where, you know, again, one partner gets to share their experience of something and maybe a feeling and the other partner non-defensively is going to reflect back what they heard. So, you know, so what I heard you share was da, 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 da. Okay. And we practice that and we keep practicing that and they practice at home because again, that's going to be the valuable tool and skill set that they're going to need when we start talking about potentially very, you know, deeper issues, maybe with more, maybe more emotionally triggering, you know, maybe there's trauma, maybe there's deep hurts and pain and they're really going to need this skill, you know, as, as we go deeper into their, into their psychotherapy or, or marriage and family therapy. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I keep hearing over and over again. Uh, even, you know, in other episodes of Yumi Empathy, communication, safety, yeah. authenticity, vulnerability, um, listening, right. you know, being empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Empathy. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, a, that's, yeah, yeah, that's appropriate, right? Yeah. Or, or well, yeah. Um, well, you know, and I think yeah. good empathy comes with listening, right? You know, totally. I, I think if, if you can hear your partner's perspective on something without becoming defensive, you know, without thinking about uh, how they're wrong, because what I always tell people are, you know, feelings aren't wrong. Your feelings can't be wrong. They're just, they're just feelings. Right, right. And a lot of times, again, it's so validating when a partner, you know, gets to hear maybe for, you know, one of the first times or, or first few times or whatever, when they stop and, and are able to say like, you know, so I'm hearing that you're scared or I'm hearing that you're fearful or I'm hearing that you, you know, are angry or you're disappointed. And I, you know, I've, I've just felt that, you know, the room, the air in the room switch almost immediately sometimes when that's happened and just the tensions just, just quickly dissipate. And, um, and I've seen people be brought to tears, you know, when, when they've, you know, a single statement like that, you know, just, I, I see that you, you know, I hear that you're scared. Um, and just that moment of being known, right. That, that moment of safety, that moment of, of having expressed something and, and it being heard and validated, um, so it can be so powerful and so amazing and so changing in a coupleship. I mean, really yeah. so impactful. Yeah. So. And I imagine it helps to uh, dissolve the the stigmas around certain feelings. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, kind of like there's there's no yeah, a feeling's a feeling. Yeah, Ang- yeah. anger it's is a valid feeling. Anger's you know? a valid and, feeling. Yeah, you know, disappointment's it, a valid feeling. And yeah. having that perspective of validity of those feelings creates the opportunity to yeah learn about them. Absolutely. That's why we say, you know, feelings give us the opportunity to, to, to explore something further. Yeah. And what I try and work, you know, if, if there is a lot of defensiveness in, in a particular, you know, uh, client or, or coupleship, um, what I usually try to kind of frame it as is like, we don't necessarily know what's behind the anger. You're kind of assuming that it's about you. And therefore, you're quickly going into a defensive posture, so you're no longer listening. You're you're in maybe more of a fight or flight type of response, and so you know you know prefrontal cortex, you know, going more offline, and and you're you know kind of getting into your fight stance, and so you're thinking defensively, and you know your your you know physiology is escalating, and you know so you know we're also trying to calm clients down, you know, during those escalations as well. Some you know centering, breathing. Um, kind of, you know, reducing their, their sympathetic responses so they can be more in the moment, hear their partner, and be able to really talk about, again, the feelings 
and again, a lot of times, not even about what's being discussed or, or, or the way in which the partner thought those feelings were, were intended. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the disappointment goes a lot further back into childhood mm-hmm. and they're just talking about something in the, in the present that maybe reminds them of that feeling. And, um, and they've never been able to do that before. You know, they've never been able to get that validation. So, yes. Lovely. Lovely. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. Um, I love it when partners, you know, start to do this work and then they get to really start to explore these emotions and these different feelings of, a, you know, within a, within a coupleship of safety. And they really get to see where maybe some of the early wounds are and maybe where some of the, you know, repetition of, of old behaviors and, and, or expectations or templates are, and, you know, they get to change those dynamics. It's, it's really amazing and, and just extremely powerful. Yeah. And, and transformational. I mean, it can be so transformational within a coupleship. Yeah. I mean, it, it's challenging for oh, sure, but, absolutely. but so, uh, so worth it. It's um, not easy yeah. work. No, I mean, no, no, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's definitely not easy work. Um, but, you know, I think the, the benefits on the payoff of them can be so, you know, so life-changing and so transformational to, you know, help people finally find the intimacy that we're talking about, the connectiveness, the safety, and the, um, the relational satisfaction and happiness, you know, that, that they yeah. probably got into a relationship for, you know, the primary intentions of the relationship was, right. was for that relational satisfaction and, and connectedness and happiness. So Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to, to wrap it up. Um, thanks for being here, Tony Pants. Oh, always, always, always a pleasure. Uh, for you listeners, uh, if you haven't left uh, Yumi Empathy a review in iTunes, please, please do that. Um, I feel like I'm speaking into the ether. No one's listening. So uh, prove me wrong and uh, hear my voice, hear my desperate plea for validity in the form of five stars on iTunes <laughs> and nice words sent my way. Uh, do we call that overt? That's not covert. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, overt. that's overt. That's straight up overt. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, hit me up on uh, Twitter or Instagram at Yumi Empathy. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to uh, my friend Tony for being here. My pleasure. And to you listeners, as always, I'm here. You're here. We're here together on this way world, this way world, way world, way world, over marble, overwhelming, awe-inspiring, pale blue marble. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Uh